Thanks for tuning in to the Follow Church weekly message. Our hope and prayer is that you will find this message uplifting and challenging as we seek to follow Jesus in our community for His glory. We're going to invite Pastor Luke up to give us a message now. So we're going to open our Bibles first. Um, So if you would turn to Matthew with me, we're going to be in chapter 28, verse 16 to 20. No prizes for the guests of the reading today. We're going to get into the Great Commission. So let's read together. Uh, If you don't have a Bible with you, there are some Bibles in in the aisles which you can grab. And if you don't actually have a Bible, you can take that home with you. Um, Don't be jealous of Dave's awesome Bible. It's the same words, it's the same same God-breathed spirit there. So let's read the Great Commission. Then the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Well, Peter Drucker once famously said that culture is strategy for breakfast. I think it's a really good saying. I believe that culture is very, very important. And it's the reason we've spent the last nine weeks going through our values as, our church, as a church, because culture is our values lived out. Today's week nine, it's the final week of this series, and I think to summarise, it's important to recap the values that we've looked at and explore, because the values we live will determine the culture we're part of here at Follow. Deanne Turner, who was the Vice President of Chick-fil-A, says this, culture is the soul of the organisation. It's who we are at the very deepest level of our core, It absolutely drives everything we do. And so as I read out the statements again that we've explored in the last eight weeks this morning, I want to encourage you, and I think it's a good opportunity for all of us to reflect on how we're going with these values in our own personal lives and how we're going on these values when it comes to us as a church. Because as I've stated previously in this series, we don't want these values just to be something that's written on our website. We want these values to be things that are written on our heart. And so as we go through these today, I want you to consider them for yourself this morning. So let's go back to week one. Who remember a couple of weeks ago? We started by talking about the Holy Spirit. Me and Sharon remember it. That's about it. But we went back and we talked about the Holy Spirit. And this is what our website says about that value. It says, we are spirit-led. We're not led by opinion or preference. We rely on the Holy Spirit to guide us. The Holy Spirit is the third person of the Trinity. He points us to Jesus. He is with us and in us. And he empowers us to live for God as people on mission. Week two, we looked at truth. We talked about the Word of God and how we love the Word of God. And it says this, that we are a community that believes that the Bible is ultimate truth. It is God's heart revealed. God's Word is alive and relevant in every area of life, throughout every generation and in every culture for all eternity. We will unashamedly declare God's truth that points us to Jesus. Serving. We love to serve. We don't serve because we have to. We rejoice because we get to. Jesus didn't come to be served, but to serve and to give his life for others. If this is the posture of God himself, then we want to follow in his footsteps, serving him willingly, joyfully, passionately and wholeheartedly. There is no greater privilege. Prayer. 
We'll be a church where prayer is instinctive. Prayer is our default position. Prayer comes naturally. Prayer is powerful. We believe in persistent prayer. We will pray and pray and pray again. We believe in a God who's always speaking and listening to act according to his will and for his glory. Love. We will be the most welcoming church on the planet. We believe people should experience the embrace of God through us. We unconditionally care about all people. We will never lay eyes on someone who is not precious to God. They will be precious to us. Generosity. As recipients, as recipients of God's generosity, we will express generosity to the world. We will give, we will sacrifice, we will lay our lives down in every area possible. We will be generous because it reflects the character of God. We believe that stinginess repels, but generosity attracts. Faith. We will think big, believe big, and live big because our God is big. We are people fueled by faith, knowing God can, God does, and God will. We have a God-given confidence to trust, believe, and depend on him. We are people of faith. Worship. Everyone worships something. We choose Jesus. Worship is who we are and expressed in what we do. We will be extravagant and creative in our praise and live out our worship in every circumstance. And then finally today, mission. We will build a legacy. We'll be known for making this world a better place. We embrace growth. We bring to, build up and send out for Jesus. We will preach the gospel, feed the poor, care for the broken and plant churches. We are a church on mission. Of course, you would know by now what our vision is. If you've been here for more than five minutes, you'll know that our vision is Jesus and our mission is to follow Jesus in our community for his glory. Underneath all of that, the vision and the mission, we find the values. And the value statements that I just read out a moment ago are a great declaration of faith. And they are aspirational values that we are wanting to live every day because we believe they represent the character of God. Today we're talking about mission and leaving a legacy with our lives. And the reason I started the sermon by going over the values again is because our legacy will be determined by how well we live our mission, but our mission will be shaped by our values. Let me say that again. Our legacy will be determined by how well we live out our mission, and our mission is shaped by our values. For example, if we continue to run the food van on a Tuesday and Thursday night, the Blessed Collective Food Van, where we feed the poor and care for homeless people and the most vulnerable in our community, but when we're there, we're rude or unkind to our volunteers or guests and we judge them or fail to love them, then we might as well not do it at all because how we do it is just as important as what we do. Bring it back to a Sunday morning. If we were to serve as part of the welcome team, and we have a wonderful welcome team here at church, but if we ignored people as they walked in the door, then I think it would probably have the opposite effect than what we're hoping for. If we serve in any area of ministry in the life of the church without any joy as we do it, it will negatively affect our impact and it will shape the effectiveness or lack of effectiveness of our mission. Because people are impacted just as much by an attitude as they are by the action. In fact, there are times if the attitude is bad that it actually erases the action altogether. And so values are incredibly important, not only to know them, but to live them. And so our prayer is that this series, it will be a reminder 
not just a reminder, but also an encouragement to keep living out these values every day with God's help. And so as we come to our last value this morning, we consider the question, how do we live out the value of mission in a way that we will leave a kingdom legacy in this community and beyond that? And so today I want to talk about it in two different ways. I want to talk about our corporate mission, the mission that we do together as God's people here at Follow Church. And I want to talk about the individual mission that each of us do in our everyday lives. In Matthew 28 today, we had a passage read which we commonly refer to as the Great Commission. And we know it so well that the danger of this passage is that we read it with a sense of complacency. And we kind of think, yeah, well, I've heard all this before. It's the, it's the Great Commission. But I wanted to kind of offset that today by looking back at that actual statement, the Great Commission. It'll be the heading in your Bible. It says the Great Commission. Because you'll notice that it doesn't say the average commission. It doesn't say the boring commission. It doesn't say the easy commission. It says the Great Commission. So let's break down this statement. This week I started by going to the dictionary. and I wanted to look up the dictionary definition of the word great. And so I looked at the dictionary and this is what it says. It says great is of an extent, amount or intensity considerably above average. I'm not going to say I was uninspired by that definition. It didn't cut it for me when it came to the Great Commission, so I threw the dictionary out and I picked up the thesaurus. And I thought, let's look at some words that we can replace the word great with, and maybe that will give us a bit more depth of meaning. And so I read the words in the thesaurus, and it says this, big, considerable, enormous, extreme, high, huge, immense, strong, tremendous, and vast. And I thought, that's the kind of mission I can get excited about. That we have a commission that is big, that is intense, that is high, that is strong, that is tremendous, and that is vast. That sounds more like the kind of mission that I want to be part of. But as I reflected on it more, and as I considered the words that I just read in the thesaurus, I came to realise this, that despite those words and how exciting those words are, the thing that makes it actually great is the word that follows great, the word commission. Or as I like to say it, co-mission. We are on a co-mission with God. So what we need to grasp about God as we talk about mission is that God is ascending God, but he's also a sent God. As we look at scripture from Adam and Eve onwards, we see that God has been sending his people on mission. And I think one of the central pioneers of mission in the Old Testament was a guy called Abram. And we've talked about Abram quite a few times here at Follow. We read about his calling in Genesis chapter 12. And for me, it's one of the most pivotal passages in the entire Old Testament. In Genesis 12, God called Abram and said to him, I want you to go. And as part of this going, he said, I want you to leave your people, your country, and your father's household, your inheritance. I want you to leave everything that you've grown up to know, everything that's important to you, everything that's of value, and I want you to go to a land I will show you. It was an incredible step of faith. But as he stepped out in faith, God made some incredible promises to him as well. He promised that he would make his name great, that he would become a great nation, and that his descendants, he said, look at the stars in the sky. And even though your wife is barren, look at the stars in the sky. You can't count them. And I want to tell you that your descendants will be innumerable like the stars in the sky. And then he said, as you go, I'm going to use you to be a blessing to all people on earth. This was a nation we knew as Israel. As we read their story in the Old Testament, we see that they failed over and over again to live up to 
the commands that God had given them and to live up to um, the mission that God had given them. But down the line, as we flick the page into the New Testament, we meet a guy called Jesus, who you've probably heard of. Jesus is our king. He's our saviour. And he came from the line of Abram. He came from that particular line, from the line of David as well. And he came and he lived this mission and these commands that God the Father had given perfectly on earth. And what he did is he, he reflected what Israel was always meant to be but failed to be. Jesus became Israel perfected. He showed us how to live for God and how to live as people on mission. And what he did through his sacrificial death on the cross and through his resurrection when he conquered the power of death is he opened up the way of blessing that God had given Abraham to do in the first place. You're going to be a blessing to all nations. Jesus opened up the way to salvation. And so when we put our faith in Christ, not only do we inherit the promises of God, but we also inherit the mission of God. Because Jesus lived out perfectly the mission originally given to Abram, and he lives out the mission, and we inherit that as well as the promises. So Galatians 3.7, it says that those who have faith, those who have faith are children of Abraham. And verse 29 of the same chapter says, If you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. And then in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 20, it tells us that all the promises of God, how many promises does that leave out? All the promises of God are yes and amen in Christ. And so not only do we inherit the promises of God in Christ, but we also inherit the mission of God to be a blessing to all people. And so to Abram, God said, I want you to go. In the Great Commission, Jesus says to us, I want you to go. To Abram, God said, you'll be a blessing to all nations. And in the Great Commission, Jesus said to make disciples of all nations. To Abram, God said, you'll be a great nation. And to us, Jesus promises that we're part of a great kingdom. To Abram, God promised that he would go with him. And to us, to live out this great commission, Jesus says, surely I am with you to the very end of the age. In a real sense, the Great Commission is a reinstating of the original mission given to Abram, but now led by Christ and empowered by the Holy Spirit. It's really a reestablishment of this great mission that we've always had that was given to Abram to be a blessing to all the world. And as we go and proclaim the good news of Jesus, this is what we do. This is why mission is one of our values, because God is a sending God. He always has been. But God's also a sent God, isn't he? One of the things I love about God is he doesn't ask us to do things that he's not first willing to do himself. The great gospel story is one of God the Father sending his one and only son into the world to redeem the world from sin and give us the hope of eternal life by dying in our place and then rising again to conquer the power of death. And so God the Father sent God the Son on a mission to seek and save the lost. But the sending doesn't stop there because when Jesus finished his mission here on earth, he ascended back into heaven. And now not only does God the Father send God the Son, but God the Father and God the Son now send God the Holy Spirit to give guidance and strength to his people to be witnesses and to live lives of mission. Ed Stetzer says it like this. He says, The Spirit gathers those who believe in Jesus into churches as the body of Christ that they may be one as God is one. The unifying work of the Spirit helps the members of the body become more like their head, Jesus Christ. If the Father sent the Son and they sent the Spirit, then the one God is by nature ascending God. And if the church is to reflect her head, then the body also will be sent, and indeed she is. 
Jesus says to his disciples, as the Father has sent me, I also send you. And so the church has been sent on a mission to announce the gospel of good things. This is what we do because it reflects who we are and who we are reflects the one who made us, the God who sends. This is the God that we worship. This is the God we work with on mission. And so God is at work. He's currently pursuing people and saving people and redeeming all things to himself. And his heart is that none should perish. And he's saying to you and to me, I'm on a mission. I'm restoring and redeeming and I'm inviting you to join me in this great mission. In fact, it's not a mission. It's a co-mission. I want you to work with me on these purposes. And so what we need to understand is that God was already working here in officer before we arrived. And so when we arrived, it wasn't a case of dreaming up mission to do. It was seeing where God was already at work and joining him in what he is doing in this local community. This is why mission is so great, because we're joining the creator of the universe, the saviour of humanity, the only hope for the world in this great mission of redemption. 1 Corinthians 3.9 says we are co-workers in God's service. I want you to let that sink in for a second. That God, the one who created everything we experience and enjoy, that same God calls us co-workers in his service. That we would work alongside him. That's an incredible thing to grasp. And so what we see from scripture is that mission existed before the church. We often say that the church has a mission, but theologically it would be far more accurate to say that the mission of God has a church. Church flowed from the mission rather than mission flowing from the church. And so today we consider the Great Commission that we are part of and how we participate both corporately and individually to leave a legacy. So let's start by talking about the corporate mission. I know what some of you are thinking as you look at me today. You're thinking, man, you're glowing. Your face is it's just so fresh and it's looking so good. And thank you for noticing. I appreciate that. The reason for that is that I spent all day yesterday exfoliating in the mud of South Gippsland, of East Gippsland. And so I did what I call yesterday Tough Mudder. Has anyone, know, anyone heard of Tough Mudder? I went and did Tough Mudder yesterday. For those that don't know it, it's a 16K course, obstacle course. And I did it yesterday. And most of you would know that I've had a pretty bad back recently. So I wasn't sure I was going to be able to do it. The last couple of weeks, my back's been a lot better. So I was able to give it a go. And so I went into Tough Mudder yesterday with zero training. Done no preparation whatsoever, haven't run for over a year. And so I rock up yesterday to do a 16K obstacle course. And it sounds pretty easy, a 16K obstacle course, but it's actually quite difficult as I found out as I was doing it. I discovered muscles I didn't know existed. And I cramped in places where I didn't think it was possible to cramp. In fact, in the last couple of Ks, I was cramping in my quad so bad that I wasn't running, I was kind of shuffling like this towards the end. It's a little bit embarrassing, in fact. I feel like I got to 40 and then just went over a cliff when it comes to my physical condition. But anyway, we did this obstacle course. It was at Lardner Park in Druin. And um, it's held not on a beautiful running course. It's held out in the paddocks. And so there's hills and, man, there's so much mud out there. And, in fact, they've created a whole lot more mud. So sometimes you're in mud that's up to here. And other times you're in an ice bath and you're diving under the ice under an obstacle to come up the other side. And then, then you're in the next obstacle where you're standing in water up to your neck. And then you're at the next one where you're swinging from a rope over water. And there's all these different obstacles that you have to do. And it's really quite challenging. But the thing I love about Tough Mudder is this, that it's not a race, but it's a mission that you do together. 
And to finish the course, you need to actually help one another. And so you help some strangers along the way, but you also form teams. And so yesterday I was in a team. It was myself and my two brothers, and then my youngest brother's girlfriend, and two of her friends that we'd never met before. And so we rock up, and we've got to kind of come together as a team to get through these incredible obstacles. And I think for me, the most a memorable moment was about 14 k's into the race. I was hurting in every single area. I was cramping all over in my calves and in my quads and I was kind of delirious. You know, you get to that stage where you're a bit delirious and you laugh at things that, you know, you just usually wouldn't laugh at and you start to have thoughts like, I paid to do this. <laughs> Why on earth did I pay to do this when I could be at home today just resting up? And you have all those sorts of thoughts. But at 14 k's, we got to the obstacle. It's probably the toughest obstacle of all. It's like a half pipe. You know the skateboarder guys, they go on these half pipes. It's about 12 foot high. And instead of having a skateboard, you've got to run and you've got to try and put your feet on there and jump up and get to the top of this ramp. Now, the only way you can do it is if you run and you jump and the people who are already at the top have their hands over the edge and they grab you by the wrist and they pull you up. And so I must admit, when I was coming to this obstacle, I'd heard about it before and I saw it in the distance and I was feeling defeated. I thought, I'm cr- I can hardly walk, let alone jump up a ramp. How are we going to get all six of us up that ramp? And last year when my brother did it, he um, had a guy in front of him who ran up the ramp and he slipped on the mud, face planted, and knocked out his front teeth. So all I could think of when I saw this ramp was teeth, teeth, teeth. Don't knock out your teeth. That's going to be very awkward at church tomorrow. So just don't knock out your teeth. And so we got there and we all had a go and we didn't, we didn't get there first time, but then one of my brothers got up and then... Um, the other brother got up and then I went for my second go and I got up and then we had to try and get the three girls up and uh, the first couple of times they, they seemed to miss by a fair bit um, but the third time um, we managed to get them all up so they got to the level where we could grab them by the wrist and hold on for dear life and try and pull them up and, um, and so yeah it was amazing but the moment when they got to the top was incredible it was this sense of elation like I didn't even know these girls and I was tearing up like it was like I was physically spent and it was like <laughs> Yes, yes, we're all going, yes, we're hugging each other, we've only just met, and it was like long lost brothers and sisters, but it was an amazing moment of elation because we just achieved something that we could only do together. And so what am I feeling this morning? Well, I'm feeling like someone who did Tough Mudder with no training, (laughs) incredibly sore, but I'm also feeling a deep sense of satisfaction, joy and pride because we were part of a corporate mission together. And together we got to the end of it. I want you to think for a moment how the disciples must have felt when they were first given the words of the Great Commission. When Jesus first uttered those words, that I want you to go and make disciples of all nations, teaching them to obey everything I've commanded. And it's a huge mission, absolutely massive. Remember the words we talked about before, big and vast and massive. Maybe they thought to themselves, Jesus, you know, we love you. But this is like head in the clouds, pie in the sky kind of stuff. It sounds really exciting, but it's just too big. How could a tiny, small group of followers, how could we possibly go and make disciples of all nations? It just seems like an overwhelming task. In our world today, we often hear people encouraging us to dream big, don't we? I think as Christians, it's good to dream big. We have a God who can do immeasurably more. We can never hope, dream, or imagine according to his power at work within us. So it's good to think big. But the problem sometimes with thinking big or dreaming big is that often the dream is so big that we feel overwhelmed 
And as a result, end up doing nothing because the bigness has caused us to be paralysed. At the GLS Leadership Summit last week, there was a lady called Liz Bohannon. And in her talk, she introduced an idea from her new book called Beginner's Pluck. And the idea was rather than dreaming big, she encouraged us to dream small. And she used an example from her own life to illustrate the power of dreaming small. You see, when Liz was in college, she had a big dream. She had a passion for women and girls in extreme poverty in Uganda. And her dream was to alleviate that poverty for these women. And she would tell everyone who would listen to her about her big dream and her passion to change the plight of those women. But one day, sitting in her cubicle on the 18th floor office in which she worked, something life-changing dawned upon her. The first thing that dawned upon her is this, that she'd never left the U.S., The second thing that dawned upon her, and more importantly, is this, that she realised that she didn't have a single friend or even know a single woman who existed in the situation that she claimed she was so passionate about. She said there was a huge gap between what she said she was passionate about and the life that she was living. So she said that was the day that she quit being a dreamer and she started being a doer. She quit her job that day. She bought a one-way ticket to Uganda and then she told her family in that order. And when they asked her, why are you going to Uganda? She said, I'm going to meet a woman. And they said, well, who is this woman? And she said, I don't know, just a woman, any woman. Can you imagine the family and your daughter has just done a degree and she's got a successful job and she comes and she says, I'm, I'm selling it all. I'm quitting my job. I'm going to Uganda to meet someone, I, I don't know who, just some woman. I just want to meet a Ugandan woman. It's a day that her dream changed from transforming the whole of Uganda and her big dream started as a small dream to meet one single woman. And so you fast forward 10 years later, which is where we're at right now, after several failures, she now knows lots of Ugandan women because she owns and operates a fashion company that is one of the largest exporters from Uganda, providing fair wages and dignified jobs for women who have been in extreme poverty. Her big dream has become a reality because she started by dreaming small. I can only imagine how things would have started for the disciples, but I reckon it probably started in a pretty similar way for the early apostles and disciples of Jesus. Because they had this huge mission. And with the benefit of hindsight, we can look back and we read their stories in Scripture and we can see throughout history that God has done incredible things, that the gospel has travelled right around the world to the vast majority of the world now and millions, perhaps billions of people have been saved throughout all the generations since. But for them, in that moment, it must have felt impossible. Given this massive commission, in verse 17, it's no surprise to read that some of them doubted. But in order for this big dream to become a reality, they needed to start small. This transformation wouldn't happen overnight. And I think if they thought about the magnitude of the task too much, perhaps they also would have been paralysed by the bigness of it. So they had to come up with a plan with God's help. And it all started in Jerusalem. Mark mentioned this before. The start of Acts, we read about it. Jesus told his disciples to remain in Jerusalem until the Holy Spirit was sent to them at Pentecost. He said, don't go anywhere until you are filled with the power of the Holy Spirit, because there's no way you can live out this co-mission in your own strength. However, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, and to Judea, and to Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. 
And so as the gospel starts to spread, there's this key moment in Acts chapter 9 when a man called Saul encounters the risen Christ on the road to Damascus and becomes a Christian in quite a miraculous way. From that point on, this great persecutor of the church becomes one of the great promoters of Christianity. Saul is transformed into the Apostle Paul, who was one of the main pioneers when it came to the gospel spreading far and wide. And so as we look at the corporate strategy that Paul and others had in the New Testament, it becomes very clear that there was a pattern. They had a plan. We see we can't disciple all nations tomorrow, but we can start by dreaming small. And so Paul and others would go to a central and influential city. They were usually trade routes that had a port attached to them. And they would go there. And the reason they chose these locations is that culture often starts in the city and then it spreads out. And so Paul and the other disciples would start to preach the gospel in these cities. And so step one was to go to the synagogues and in the marketplaces, and they just proclaim the message of Jesus. So we can't disciple all the nations, but we can go to one city and we can start to preach the gospel. So they started to dream small. What would happen if we went and preached the gospel in a city like that? And so they went. And the Holy Spirit would move in people's hearts as they preached the gospel. And many of these people who heard the good news came to faith And as more and more became followers of Jesus, they would, step two, establish a church in that city. And then the church, as we can see, as we said before, was born from mission. And so the mission happened and the church would be established in the city. And in that local church, they would preach the gospel a little bit like we do here. They would meet the needs of people in their local community. They would train and raise up leaders. And they'd be a blessing through the way they conducted themselves in their everyday lives. As the church group, step three, as the church grew, they would equip and send others to go. And they would go and then they would start more churches in new areas. Every church that was planted was planted pregnant with the intention of giving birth to more churches. Step four, at the same time, Paul and other key leaders would lead that city and they'd go to another city and they'd start the whole process again. Step five was that they were planting churches in cities that had ports. The other advantage of those cities was that people would come to those cities by ship for trade. And so there's already a steady flow of people from all nations arriving in these cities. Remember the command? Make disciples of all nations. And so in the port cities, the nations were coming to them. And as people from different parts of the world came and heard and responded to the gospel in those cities, they would then get back on a ship and they would sail home carrying the gospel with them to many parts of the world. It was a brilliant, brilliant strategy that started small. A big dream to change the world started with a smaller dream to impact a city. And I was thinking to myself this week, if the Apostle Paul was here today in Victoria in the year 2019, if he was here in Victoria today, what would his mission strategy be? I think he'd still go to the cities because I think influence and culture still starts there. But i tell you the other place that I think Paul would go. I think he would target the growth corridors. I'll tell you the reason why. People from the cities, where are they moving to? They're moving to the growth corridors. They can't afford to live in the city, and so they're moving out to the growth corridors. And so do they go to the southeast and the west and the north where they can have a better lifestyle. Not only that, but the nations are going out to the growth corridors as well. Because people who migrate to Australia often do so with very little finance and resource. So instead of going to the city, they can't afford it either. They also settle in the growth corridors. And so I believe Follow Baptist Church is actually being planted in a very strategic part of Melbourne. And it's really exciting, isn't it? 
The thing is, we live out the Great Commission. We've got people actually coming from all over the place right into our neighbourhood. You know, it was so great to hear from the Lopez's this morning. And to, I caught up with them this week and spent a couple of hours with them and heard some of their story. And it was just wonderful to hear about their trip and the, the plans for the future in Peru. And it's wonderful to support other missionaries, both overseas and also locally. And we'll continue to do that and we'll continue to increase that. And one of the reasons we increased it right now is because we're about to build a building and we need as much money as we can get, right? And so what do we do? We step out in faith and we increase our giving to our missionaries because we don't want to pause pause anything we're doing for the sake of a building. We're called to be here and make a difference. So we're going to step out in faith and continue to support our missionaries in increasing ways. And so it's wonderful to support people like Neil and Jocelyn over in Niger and Matt and Femke in Belgium and the Stauntons going to Cambodia who are called to serve in other parts of the world. But, but right here in Officer, where most of us are called to be, the nations are coming to us and there is a great gospel opportunity. In the last few years, church planning has kind of come back into vogue a little bit in Australia. There's been church planning networks that have started and new churches commencing, and that's a wonderful thing. But I've heard some people say, oh, it's just the latest trend. But what I want you to see from Scripture today is that church planning is not some new trend. It's always been a key component of the mission strategy of the New Testament. That is why from day one it's been part of our mission here at Follow to impact the southeast of Melbourne through planting churches. But to see that big vision come to pass, we need to first dream smaller. And that starts by being a blessing here in Officer. This slide here is a picture of Lenny's bedroom door. He's very creative. He loves to colour in stuff. And I was looking at some of that stuff a couple of nights ago and I noticed the bottom one, which he's just done recently. It's probably my favourite one because of what it says on it. It says, bloom where you are planted. What a beautiful catch cry for a church, to bloom where you are planted. Really, that's what we're trying to do here with God's help. Like the early disciples, we've based ourselves here in office and we feel we're called to this place and our job is to bloom, to try and live out the Great Commission, to grow as disciples, to love God and to love one another, to be a blessing in our local community, to see people come to know Jesus for the first time and to see the officer region transformed. I was at a BUV event the other night and they were talking about their current theme and that is imagine. Imagine what it would look like to see the southeast of Melbourne being one for Christ. See hundreds or thousands of people coming to know him. I want you to imagine that this morning because that's the kind of vision that should drive us. It's what the Great Commission is all about. And for all the time we've got here and there's one person that's not saved in our community, that should be a burning desire of our heart every single day. So we're praying that as we bloom where we've been planted in the next two to five years, that God would open up the door to multiply. It goes back to really the original command, doesn't it, in Genesis. God said to Adam and Eve, I want you to be fruitful and multiply. Right? The first thing is to what? Be fruitful. And so we're getting busy being fruitful because there's no use multiplying something if it's not fruitful. But when you become fruitful, you've got something worth multiplying. And so we've got to be fruitful as we bloom as disciples of Jesus so that we can plant something like this in another area. That can bloom and it can plant, it can go forth, it can you know, be fruitful and multiply, be fruitful and multiply. That's what we're called to do. And so the corporate legacy of follow will not only be transformation in the officer region, but we're praying that the gospel will spread even further into the southeast of Melbourne, where we'll see many people coming to know him. And I think that's an amazing kingdom legacy to believe for. It's a corporate mission that God has given us together. 
But in reality, for us to truly live out the Great Commission and impact our community, it needs to be more than just a corporate mission, doesn't it? It also needs to be an individual mission. So let me finish by just talking about this very briefly. In the New Testament, we see this strategy of impacting cities and planting churches, but it was never at the exclusion of individual mission. Yes, they had a corporate strategy, but each person understood they had a personal responsibility to share the gospel. And the truth is there are people that that I'm going to know in my life that you'll never meet. And there's people you're going to know in your life that I'll never meet. And so God's placed you in that sphere of influence for that reason. You're a person on mission wherever you go, whether it's your workplace or your family or your friendship circle. There are a lot of people and what they have in common is they're probably not going to walk through the doors of this church. And so God has actually sent us to go and find ourselves on this individual sense of mission with the sphere of influence that God has placed us in. I think sometimes we can hide behind our church and say, oh, well, I do mission when I participate in outreach events or I volunteer at a food van or my church supports missionaries or we planted a church. And so the mission box in my life, it's kind of ticked. Yeah, it did the mission stuff because uh, we do that as a church. And so we abdicate our responsibility as individuals to share the gospel with people in our lives. But in the New Testament, it was, neither, it was never either or. It was both because mission is every moment of our lives. So maybe the big dream, the big dream of the Great Commission is too overwhelming for you to think about. Maybe the thought of planting more churches is beyond your comprehension, but maybe today you have faith to dream smaller. Maybe there's just a mustard-sized seed of faith that you can sow as you believe for someone in your life to come to know the Lord. So I wonder who are you believing for right now in your life? Which friends are you praying for an opportunity to share your faith with? When's the last time you woke up and asked God for an opportunity to share your faith with someone in your workplace? Because I honestly believe God's always speaking. That's not the problem. The problem is that we're not always listening. And so as we wake up in the first thing in the morning and say, God, I'm listening to your voice. I want you today to provide opportunities for me to share the good news of Jesus. I guarantee God will provide plenty of opportunities to do so. And it's exciting when he does. And I really believe that our legacy will be severely hindered if we only ever have a corporate idea of mission, but not an individual one. Last week, I met a guy here for the first time. Uh, He was a young guy who was from a Muslim background. And he was telling me that recently he's come to know Jesus. And it was wonderful just to hear him talk about what's happened in his life, that he was a Muslim and he used to go to a mosque and he said it was so kind of oppressive, it was just one nationality and there was, he looked around, he said, there's all these nationalities here and they're so free and, and when you sang today, your voice was beautiful. No, he didn't say that bit, but he said the other two bits. And he said, it's just a wonderful, he said, since I've given my life to Jesus, it's like a hundred kilos have come off my shoulders. And it was a wonderful, wonderful moment. But what struck me the most is this, that you might think, so where, where did he become a Christian? Did he walk into one of our services and you know, was it one of these amazing messages that you hear every week or was it the wonderful worship you have and you might be surprised to hear it wasn't those things? But it started with a conversation with a Christian person at Hallam Hotel where he had a conversation about faith and that sort of led from one thing to another where he gave his life to Jesus. He's now doing an Alpha course. He wants to be baptised. And I just love that, that, that he's a guy that may never have walked in the doors of this church. But someone had the boldness to go into a place like Hallam Hotel. For those who say nothing ever good could come out of Hallam, you're wrong. (laughs) And just willing to share his faith. And someone comes to know Jesus for the first time. 
That's why individual mission is so incredibly important. A great example from the book of Acts of someone who lived both corporate and individual mission was in the story of Philip, who was in Samaria sharing the gospel, and there were crowds of people flocking around him, and God was doing incredible things. There was healing, and there was deliverance, and it says there was great joy in the city. But in the midst of a revival-type atmosphere, I think when God does something significant, we don't want to go anywhere, do we? We're staying here. God's doing some great stuff. But in the midst of this revival-type atmosphere, an angel appears to Philip, and he tells him to go south down a desert road that goes from Jerusalem to Gaza. And so he leaves this revival type of atmosphere and he obediently goes where the Spirit of God leads him. And so he started out and on the way he came across an Ethiopian eunuch. He was an influential man who Scripture tells us was in charge of the treasury for the Queen of Ethiopia. And he was stopped on the road. He was sitting on his chariot. and He was reading from a scroll the prophet of Isaiah. In verse 29 of Acts chapter 8, it says that the Spirit told Philip, go to the chariot and stay near it. And so he went and obeyed. As he listened to the guy, he heard him reading from the scroll. And he said to the man, do you understand what you're reading? And the man responded by saying, how can I unless I have someone to explain it? And so Philip takes the time to sit down and explain that Isaiah is pointing to Jesus. The eunuch accepts Christ that day. And as they continue along the road in the chariot, they see a puddle on the side of the road and they pull over and the man was baptised that very day because there's no such thing as delayed baptisms in the New Testament. And so that's a little plug for November 10 when we're having our baptisms. And you haven't been baptised, why not? That's a very quick plug, but hopefully the Holy Spirit's speaking to you if you haven't been baptised because it's a great step of obedience. We don't know how the story of that Ethiopian eunuch finishes, but it wouldn't be an exaggeration or a stretch of the imagination to imagine that the gospel spread to Ethiopia as he returned and shared the story of what Jesus had done in his life. The Great Commission was fulfilled in one way by this one man being obedient to go down that road and to share his faith with one person on a chariot who then carried the gospel back, this influential man, to his home country. I want to finish this message with three very brief takeaways about what we can learn about individual mission from Philip if we're going to leave a legacy. And the first one is this, that we need to be people who are obedient. Go and make disciples. The original Greek word is as you go. There's an assumption that we'll go. That wherever God leads us, we'll go and share the gospel. Philip in this story constantly models disobedience. When the angel instructs him to leave the buzz of revival-like activity to go down a lonely road, He goes. When the Spirit tells him to go to the chariot and stay near it, he obeys. Our very first value eight weeks ago when we started this series was being Spirit-led. And it's still the single most important factor when it comes to sharing the gospel. And so I want to ask you this morning, who is God prompting you to pray for today? Who are you feeling challenged to share the gospel with in your life? When the Spirit leads you on mission to your friends and family, I want to encourage you to be obedient. Secondly, be available. You know, sometimes these days, it's a badge of honour to be busy, isn't it? How are you going, busy? Oh, I just flat out, man. Just no time for nothing, you know, just so busy. It's a badge of honour. Well, maybe we need to declutter our lives a little bit and become less busy and become more available. Because I think in a world where people are very cynical about faith, I think availability is one of the key things that we can do with people in our lives to show them that we love them. Availability leads to conversation. And conversation can lead to an opportunity to share the gospel. Be obedient, 
be available, and finally, be ready. I've stopped using this thing, haven't I? There we go. 1 Peter 3.15 says, But in your hearts revere Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have, but do this with gentleness and respect. Don't forget the last bit. Be ready. Philip was ready. And when the eunuch asked the question, he was able to explain his answer and point him to Jesus. If you put God's word in on a regular basis, the Holy Spirit will bring it out when you need it, when you step out in faith. Church, we have had an amazing first four years here at Follow. God has been so faithful to us. As we focus on our vision, as we live out our mission underpinned by our values, God will leave a legacy in and through our lives and through this church. We're a church on mission, both corporately and individually. And so let's be obedient, let's be available, and let's be ready. Let's pray. Dear Lord God, we thank you for this great commission we've spoken about today. And Lord, it it seems daunting and it seems huge, but we know, Lord God, that as we dream small for those individuals that we share the gospel with, that you can do something abundantly miraculous in and through our lives, in and through this church. And so, Lord, we choose to lift our eyes above our own limitations and focus them on the God who says, I can do all things. And so we look to you today and we trust you. And we say, Lord, there's a vision ahead of us and we don't know how it's going to happen, but what we do know is that we serve a God who says, my arm's not too short. I can provide. I can do things beyond what you could ever hope, dream or imagine. And so, Lord, we step out and we say we want to be people who live with the values we've spoken about. And we want to be people who live on mission because we have the greatest news ever that you came and died for us, that you rose again to conquer the power of sin and death and we can have new life in you. And so as we go with that message, give us boldness, give us uh, confidence, give us wisdom. And give us the power of your Holy Spirit to be your people on mission. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening to our message this week. If it stirred your heart and you would like to talk to someone more about it or pray with someone, please get in touch with us at info at follow.church and one of our pastoral team will get back to you as soon as possible. If you'd like more information about Follow and our various ministries, including weekly service times and location, please check out our website, www.follow.church. Thanks again for joining us. God bless.